We are uh, so glad that you're with us today. My name is Aaron. I'm the senior pastor. And on behalf of my wife, Erica, and all of our staff and pastors, we're, we're honored that you're here, especially if you're here with us for the very first time. Hey, if you're a guest with us, maybe you're watching online or you're in here today, uh, we're honored you're, that you're here. We, we like to invite you to come back at least three times. Everybody say three times. And here's why, as I know, when you go to a new place, you don't always get the best experience on the first experience. Please come back, check us out. Hopefully, uh, we can be your spiritual family. If you are watching online, do me a few things. Like, comment, share, leave a review. Do something interactive. It helps us get through the algorithm so that the message of Jesus gets out to the people. And if you are in here, do me a favor. Just take out your phone, check in on Facebook, or text someone right now. Say, I'm in church. Where are you? You know, just say, I'm in the best place that I need to be right now to have some Jesus. And so... Uh, we all need that today. We are uh, in the middle of a series called Vision. Everybody say Vision. And, and the reason we're doing that is because we, we need to recognize as a people that God has a vision. He has a vision for the world. He has a vision for our church. He has a vision for you as a people. And we've been using this scripture kind of as our backdrop uh, for, for, for us just to kind of lead us into what God is doing so we know what he's doing in Proverbs chapter 29. And it says if people can't see what God is doing, they stumble all over themselves. Have you ever had that moment where you were walking, the lights turned off, and you started to figure out and you started running? things. When you can't see where you're going, come on, you'll run into things. And so God is saying like, God's doing something and you got to see where he's going. You got to see where he wants to lead you. He wants, to, wants you to see where he's leading the church. He says, so, so that, but when we, when we, so we don't run over ourselves, but when we see it, when we attend to what he reveals, they're going to be most blessed, that we're going to be most blessed. So we, we have an obligation as a church to teach you and to teach me and to teach us on how to follow God's vision. And we've been using the story in Exodus chapter 6 to show us how God grows people. Because I don't know if you know this or not, God, God doesn't grow people with a microwave. He grows people in a slow cooker is what I say. Like it takes time. There, there's, 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 there's some moments where you hear, I think, radical transformation, and that does happen in eternity. But for, I would go to say and argue, most people need a step to take every day so that they can get closer to God. And so sometimes we as churches and as pastors, people like me, we get it wrong and we, we say things to you and we, we leave things to be incomplete in your life because I think sometimes most churches and most pastors are real good at leading people to reaching Jesus and, and having a relationship with him, but then it stops there and we're kind of like, good luck. And so we don't want you to be like that here at this church. We don't want you to feel like you don't know what your step is going. And so we, we looked at Exodus chapter 6, and I'm going to read it for you again. This is the story of Moses leading the children of Israel out of Egypt, out of slavery. And this is God's response to Moses. Okay? This is God's response to Moses as he's saying, I thought you were going to help us get the children of Israel are crying out. You're hearing them. What do I say? And this is what his response was to him. He says, therefore, say to the Israelites, I am the Lord. And I will bring you out. Step one, we talked about that in week one, that the whole goal of, of, of the whole goal of God's growing people all starts with somebody knowing God. He's got to bring you out of the bondage of slavery, that we are all slaves to sin when we are born into this world. You and I were not born saved. You know this if you have a kid. Amen. You're not born saved. you got to make a decision to follow him. Even if you were born into a Christian family, there's one day where you're going to have to, teenagers, listen to me, you can't get into heaven with your parents' faith. 
You, you can't have eternity with God with your family's lineage. Now, it helps because they'll hopefully get you positioned right, but you're going to have to make a decision one day to know God as, as he brings us out from under slavery. And so he brings us out of the yoke of the Egyptians. Then he says, then step two, I'm going to free you from being slaves to them. So last week we talked about that. Step two, we talked about now that you got out of Egypt, we got to get Egypt, come on, out of you. And so you cannot have your future until you deal with your past. And some of us in here are stuck on this step. You keep trying to get to step three and step four. But if you don't deal with what's inside here, you'll never get to what's in front of you because you're, you, you'll be weighted down like baggage. Anybody try to run through the airport with a bunch of bags? It's not fun. And you're slow and you're not agile and you look kind of want funny, right? And that's really how it is in life with a lot of people. A lot of people are not getting to where they need to get to because they're, they're being held down by their past. And God wants to free you and find free. We do that in groups. We find our in small relational connections, whether it's our small groups or, or our next steps courses or, or, you know, inside of serve teams. Or maybe it's just you sitting at a, at a coffee shop at the, with the Starbucks with another guy or another lady saying this is what's wrong. There's relational connect. We find freedom in people. And then he goes on to step three. He says, then I will redeem you with an outstretched arm. That's what we're going to talk about today and mighty acts of judgment i will take you as my own people and i will be your god and then you will know that i'm the lord your god who brought you out of from the from under the yoke of the egyptians he talks about this four step unique process and today we're going to talk about step three that that third step of redeeming you with this outstretched arm and with that as our backdrop let's pray father we love you lord I, i'm honored today that we get to talk about you and lift up your name holy spirit you are here you are here. You are working. You are powerful. You have the freedom to move, Father. I know that today, God, you, you are going to speak to us. I created a message, but, but, but truthfully, you have a specific message, a personal message, a unique message that we all need to hear and leave out of here with. So I pray that you would speak now, Holy Spirit, in Jesus' name. Everybody set? Amen. Amen. I, uh, I've noticed a trend. I don't know if you guys have noticed this. I've noticed a trend in the last maybe 10 years-ish on, on television that, that, that there used to be, like in the 90s when I grew up, there was sitcoms. Y'all remember that? Like, like y'all remember the sitcoms? Like, yeah, there was the, it was like the, the day of the sitcom. So you had, you know, you know, Home Improvement with Tim Allen. How many of y'all liked Home Improvement, right? You know, with Tim Allen, you know, the, he had the, ah, 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 that's how he did it, right? <laughs> Uh, then, then, you know, you had, um, yeah, you had Fresh Prince of Bel-Air, which is basically my whole life, right? Anybody else like Fresh? I loved Fresh Prince of Bel-Air, Uncle Phil, and, and all of that. Um, we, you know, you had Family Matters. Come on, y'all remember Family Matters and, uh, you know, uh, Saved by the Bell and, and uh, a Full House. You know, they're all trying to bring them all back now, you know, because they were that good. It was an era of that. But then it moved on to like, and then the 2000s came and then reality television hit, right? Y'all, you know, like all of a sudden, MTV stopped playing music television. And, and it was like you started having these, this, this kind of maybe new landscape of television. But one of the things that I actually think was good out of the reality television series, like not the Kardashians and not, you know, Jersey Shore. I'm talking about like the HGTV remodel shows. Like, I love those shows. I don't know if y'all watch those. Like, guys are like, I don't watch those. Watch ESPN. Yes, you do. You lying. You like that show. You love Chip and Joanna. You already went to Waco a few times and bought that $500 sticker that they be selling. And, and so I'm telling you, like, that was like, that, that was the trend that kind of came up. And I was watching it one time. And my wife said, you know, she said, she said, honey, because this is what y'all ladies do. You see something on television and you come to us and say, that's what I want. Right. 
And so she saw this like table that was refurbished and so and it was built and it was like nice and it was vintage farmhouse chic. I think that's what it was. Is that how it is, babe? Like farmhouse chic. I think that's the anyway, go look it up, Google it. And so anyway, so so she told me she wanted a table made out of a farmhouse table. So you know what I did? Because you know, obviously you can tell. Very manly. And I have tools and 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 you know, I know what wood is. I've been to the Home Depot. And, uh, and so I went into the store and I bought some wood and, and I did what most people did. I called someone who knew what they were talking about, knew what they were doing, and they helped me build a table. Happened to be my father. And so, um, you know, my dad grew up in construction. So I was, hey, I have a, I have a heads up. Come on, come on, how, how you know, favor ain't fair. So anyway, all right, so, so I'm like walking up. So we're, we're building the table and the table gets built and it's great. And it lasted for several years. And before you know it, I have five young boys. And wouldn't you know it, the boys actually destroyed the farmhouse table that's supposed to look destroyed. <laughs> Explain that. So, like, I'm like, okay. And so my wife comes to me. She says, we need to, we need to refurbish this table because I need it to be usable. It's not usable right now. There's holes in it. There's cracks in it. I need you to refurbish it. And so what I did was I, I had kind of like a before picture of the table. This is kind of like the before picture of the table, and I cleaned it off. And she goes, I need the cracks to be filled, and I need all that stuff. So you know what I did? I sanded that baby down. I planed it down. This, So I got it all. I started filling all the cracks. Y'all see what I'm saying? What I'm saying? So I started refurbishing it, remodeling it. I accessed Joanna Gaines all up in it. It was awesome. And then I finally finished it out and uh, and kind of painted. She wanted it white. So I, I went and I painted it out and I distressed. You see it? You see I distressed it. And so this is our, our farmhouse kitchen table. You're welcome. HGTV, I will take your application. I can have a show ready for you whenever you need. So put it all together and, uh, and I refurbished and remodeled this table. I refurbished and remodeled this, this table. What was interesting about this table, okay, so we built the table. Table was there. Table had a purpose. And over time, as time went on, more things happened to that table. Some holes got into that table. Some cracks happened to that table. The table started getting worn down, started getting worn. It started, started having, like, marks on it. It started not acting the way. In fact, we stopped using it because it was kind of messed up. And my wife asked me, she asked me to do one thing. She said, hey, will you, will you restore this table back to its, its original intention? Now, Webster's Dictionary of Redeemed, one of, the, one of the definitions is to restore back to original intent. To restore back to original intent. When God said, I'm going to redeem you in Exodus chapter 6, he says, I'm going to redeem you with an outstretched arm and mighty acts of judgment. What he was saying, and you don't, might not know this because maybe you don't know the context of what was happening. When the children of Israel were in slavery... At this time, the, the Pharaoh of Egypt had gotten, had grown tired of them as a people and started to not just put them in bondage, but put them in terrible bondage. They were, they were always making bricks. They were, that was kind of their thing. They would make bricks, but he got so frustrated with them. He said, start making bricks without straw. Which I don't know if you know anything about that, but if you make bricks without straw, that's what binds them together. It's almost like he wanted them to do worthless, useless work with no purpose and no strategy and no win to their whole life. Just work for nothing. 
and work in the hot sun as you're abused, as you're taken advantage of. He's trying to send a message to the Israelites. You have no purpose. You have no value. We just want you to be tortured. So when when God said, I'm going to redeem you in step three, he said, I want to pull you out of your lifeless work that has no purpose. I want to redeem you. I want to lift you up out of the mud pits. Because what you're doing now, listen to me. Come on. If you if you checked out, check back in. Come on. What you're doing now is not what you were designed to do. It's not your purpose. Some of us, much like my table, you, you came out right. And then life came and you got holes in you and you started to crack under the pressure. And, and you started not being even used. Come on. In the way that you were meant To be used like the children of Israel, you're running your race, but you're going nowhere. And some of us in life, you wake up and you feel like I'm just making bricks without straw. And God said he wanted to redeem the children of Israel in step three. He's he's trying to remind them, trying to remind us. We have a purpose and we're valuable. Paul talks about this in um, in Ephesians when he's writing to the the church at Ephesus. Ephesus was a city. Ephesians was a letter to a church in that city. And he says, for we are God's masterpiece. Everybody say masterpiece. Masterpiece. You got to hear what he's saying. He's saying we're, we're, we're God's masterpiece. He's created us anew in Christ Jesus so we can do the good things he had planned. God has plans for you. Like you're not an accident that you are a masterpiece. The Greek word there, masterpiece, is interesting. It's it's poema, and it's the where we get the word poem and story from. It's why you feel like you 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 go through. You're not quite who you should be. You're not doing all the things you should do, but but you're still moving. Come on, because God's still writing a story. You're not a you're not a a finished work, you're a story God's writing. And, and, and when he says he's going to redeem us, he's wanting to return us back to God's original intent, his original intent. But it takes a process that it doesn't happen overnight like your eternity changes overnight. Your eternity can change overnight. But, but, but we talked about last week, you got to get free. But then once you get free, you got to know what you were made to do. So that you can ultimately get to the fourth idea and the fourth step. So we've been talking about it. That's step one of bringing you out. The cup of sanctification that they they drink inside of the Jewish Seder every year. The celebration at Passover where they drink the cup of sanctification, the cup of wine, which signifies lost people getting saved and us knowing God for our vision. And that's our strategy on the weekend service. Then in step two last week, I'm going to free you. Bring, I'm going to free you from from Egypt, from your heart and cup of deliverance. Once you get you delivered and saved, people freed and people finding freedom. We do that in our groups here. But then the third step is this cup of redemption. That they drink. They, they, they drink to God in celebration knowing God. Thank you for restoring us back to our original intent. 
Because we were lost in the mud pits without you. Running the race, going to work, waking up, going to work and driving to work and doing work and then coming home and eating dinner and going to bed and waking up and going to work and eating dinner and going to bed and waking up and going. And y'all remember, you know what I'm talking about? Where you feel like I ain't going nowhere. He says, you, you've given us the power to actually be redeemed. And for us, our language is we want now, now that you're freed, we want freed people trained so you know who you are, so you can discover your purpose. And we do that in some of our steps ministries. And so how do we do that today? How do, how do, what's the process and how we as a church, okay, do you see what I'm saying? God has a way. How do we do that as a church to get people to discover their purpose? As we wrap up today, I'm going to give you two ways we, we do that and through our strategy. Our strategy for step three here at Rise Church, I want you to be clear about this if you're watching online, if you're taking notes. Here's our strategy. is We, we want to strategically help people discover and develop the gifts God gave them. Now, side note, they're not your gifts. Okay, for all the talented people. For all the anointed people. For all the people who maybe are the 510 talent people, okay, to use Bible language. They're not your gifts. We should never be prideful with the gifting God gave us. Because it ain't yours. We should be stewards of it. And we should, we should take it seriously. But we need to recognize God gave them to us. And if we recognize God gave them to us, then, then, then we'll look at it a little differently. We'll take them a, a, a little bit more seriously and intentionally for our purpose. Now, now, remember, our job as a church is to strategically put you in positions to develop and to discover your gifting. And, and, and some people might call that, this is a churchy word, the discipleship, Okay. And, and what's interesting about discipleship is that most churches see discipleship as digesting information. Which means I get into a Bible study with you and we learn about the Bible and then we say we were discipled. That's not discipleship. Not under God. Discipleship was always meant and always intended for people to digest and then apply. You see what I'm saying? Pharisees were good at digesting. Jesus was good at doing. So the question you have to ask yourself at some point in your life, as you're in your home cave getting super deep with God, how much of that stuff have you moved out of your home cave into the world? Because the point of and the goal of discipleship is learning and applying it does no good for you. It's like saying, just go to college. And then everything's going to be okay. No, the point, at least it should be, the point of learning is to do. So, so, so even James, I felt like he had this issue with the church too. Because he points it out in James chapter 1. This is a famous scripture. If you're, if you're a Christian, you've heard this one. But you always laugh about it. You say, I do it, Pastor. It's all good. I'm just saying, maybe you stop for a minute and examine your heart. He says, don't just listen to God's word. I'm so happy you come in here on the weekend or you watch online that you come in and you're like, hey, 
I got to hear a good word today. I'm so I'm, so, I'm grateful because faith comes by hearing and hearing from the word of God. That's good. That's a part of it. But then James says, you must do what it says. Because once you do this, that makes this that much more important. It, it validates this. You can't just do this. You got to do what it says. Otherwise, he even says it. You're a fool. And there's a lot of foolish Christians who, who, who walk around and they, they got it in here and they got it in here, but you'll never see it in here. So, so we got to be about doing. We got to be about being effective. We got to be. That's why we got to be about more than just coming in and sitting in a church service. I love numbers. I love that we're growing. I love that we've always been a growing, life-giving church. That's amazing to me. But that's step one. Then we get step two and, come on, come on, deliverance. But then step three, you got to know why you're called to do what you're called to do. So how do we do that? How do we do that? I'll give you two ways through, the, through, through this. We want to help people discover their gifting. A psalm says it this. The writer of Psalms says it like this. I love this. This is this is. This is such a great scripture to kind of put on your on your window or maybe on your wallpaper. It says, thank you for making me so wonderfully complex. That's so good. He says, I'm complex. I'm different. I'm unique. I'm not the same as everybody. I might look the same. I might even act the same a little, but I'm not the same. I'm complex. Stop trying to simplify what God made complex. You're, you're unique. And then he says, your workmanship is marvelous. How well I know it. He says, so it's complex and it's marvelous. We want you to discover two things about your gifting. Number one, that it's unique, that you have. He loves it. Thank you for making me so wonderfully complex. You're distinct. That's why comparison is ridiculous. The very nature of you looking at someone's life and saying, I wish I had that is ridiculous because you're not them. It's not comparing apples to oranges. It's comparing apples to nitrogen. It's different. You, you look the same. We might all be humans, but we're not the same. You're not called to do the same thing. So, so you can't compare. That's why comparison is, is futile. And when you, when you know how unique you are and how specific you are when you know your position and your role and what you were called to do, you know what to do. Uh, my son, uh, Judah, he's a, he's a six-year-old. He's playing t-ball right now. And I don't know if you've ever been to t-ball recently. Is anybody else doing t-ball with their kids? Anybody else? Okay, I'm the only crazy person at this point. What's funny about t-ball, I just want you to know, like they're all six years old, okay, so they're all little. They all get on the field and then when the ball is hit, you know what happens? They all run after the ball. All of them. You're like, the people around the ball? No. Outfield, infield, pitcher, and catcher. They all just run after the ball. And it's like, just like we're playing soccer with the terrible ball is what they're doing. So they all run after the ball. So I'm the other day at practice. I'm like, son, Judah, look at me. Look at, look at me. Look at eyes. Look, look, listen, listen, listen. You're on first base. If the ball's hit to you, well, your position is, if the ball's hit to you, grab the ball and touch the base. If it's not hit to you, stay in your spot. Go to the base because they're going to throw it to you. Come on. 
And then when they throw it to you and you catch the ball before the base runner gets to the base, you get an out and we win the game. And that's the point. We play the game to win. You're not getting the participatory, you know, trophy. Sorry. Okay. So getting out of my heart, Josh, Josh. Okay. So I'm just saying. So, so it's like, okay, you get a high five when you win. Okay. So, so stay at first. If I see said, dad, what do first, ba- first basements do? They catch the ball, they touch the base, or they wait to be thrown the ball to catch. That's how you win the game. And I, I'm just telling you. When people don't know what they're supposed to, who they are and how unique they are and what they're called to do, they, they, they start acting like all those six-year-olds running around in life. Like, I don't know if you've seen the news recently. There's a whole lot of people running around chasing after this ball with no purpose. And they act like they... You, You know what happens when the kids get the ball? They don't know what to do with it. It's like a dog chasing the car. The dog wouldn't know what to do if they caught it. So if you don't, you see, you're unique. You you have a purpose. You have a gifting. and, And your uniqueness is your value. Don't make yourself simple and know who you're called to be. Second is this. You're important. You're important. You're important. You're important. You are important. Raise your hand if you can real quick. Just any hand you want. I don't care. Everybody in here, just if you can, like you put deodorant on and you're short. Come on. Like, yeah, I did. Just humor me online. Really lift your hands. Lift your hands. Lift your hands. Okay, listen, listen, listen. You know who's important? Everybody who's raising their hand. Everybody. You are important. You have value. You are important. I get it, Pastor. You don't. You're important. You have value. I, I get it. I get you need to tell yourself that the next time you're about to make a decision. You're important. You have value. He says your workmanship is marvelous. The, the, the Hebrew word there for marvelous. They use that word to describe um, uh, organs in your body that are irreplaceable. Some parts of the Bible use them as kidneys. By the way, you cannot live without your kidneys. You can't like you can go on dialysis, but that's still not living. Come on. You irreplaceable organs. You are irreplaceable in the body of Christ. God has a plan for you. You have a purpose. You are valuable. You are important. And in step three, this is what God does. He redeems us with his outstretched arm. Why do you think he uses that language? Because when you stretch out your arm, your ten, your whole point of stretching out your arm is to lift them up. Yeah. Yeah. To, to, some Bible verses say, you stoop down to get me because you and I don't think we're valuable. Because every time you... you, you you and I do something wrong, it lowers our value in our, our mind. You just made a mistake. You made a decision. You're not less valuable. You have value, and it can't be taken away from you because you didn't establish your value in the first place. 
You want to know who did Jesus? Last time I checked, he's still on the throne, which means he's in charge, yep. which means he establishes the value, which means he, he bought and paid for you, which means you have no say in the matter. Thank God. So, so you're valuable. And God reaches down and lifts us up with his outstretched arm. We do that here at the church with our steps ministries. We try to get you to discover your gifts. So we do next steps on a regular basis. We do the first step is on week one and then week two is step two. Those aren't classes just so that you could go through some type of assimilation process in church, by the way. Every church has an assimilation process. We've never in our lives called it that. It's a step. It's next steps. It's your next step. So hopefully we can help you identify who God created you to be. It is a step in the right direction. It's a step in you finding out your purpose. It's a step. It's not the step. It's a step. And any church who promises you something outside of one class, I'm sorry. You better be careful with that. Be careful. We we need to be honest about like this is a journey. We talk about it. It's a journey with God. We want to help you discover your God-given gift. Second thing is this. We want to help people develop their gifting. So it's not just discovering. It's developing. Once we know our gift is, it's our, it's our job as pastors and as leaders and as church people to make sure you know what it is and develop it and develop it. Or we call it equipping. Now, this is the Ephesians 4 model. This is so good. It says, now these are the gifts that Christ gave to the church, the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the pastors, and the teachers, all the pro-Christians, like the professionals. The ones who got the big Bibles. <laughs> the ones who read in the Hebrew and the Greek. The ones who preach from the platform. The ones who sing with the microphone. The ones who push the buttons in the soundboard. The ones who, who lead in. No, 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 no. No, 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 no. He, he said, we gave the, the gifts. These are all gifts. I'm like, thank you, Jesus. I'm a gift. Anyway, so they, that gift, the gift. For what? Their responsibility. This is my responsibility. My responsibility. Me. Me. Okay? It's not you. This is good. I'm preaching to me. Me. This is my, my responsibility. To equip. There it is. Develop. Equip. Develop. Equip God's people to do his work and build up the church. So my job is not to do the work of the ministry. My job is to develop you and equip you to do the work of the ministry. So when you come in here and you're like, Pastor, you need to be doing this church better. I'm going to look at you from now on since we're all on the same page and be like, you need to be doing the church better. You're right. You need to be doing the church better. I agree with you. Y'all should be doing the church better. Because Ephesians 4 is clear for us as a mandate against that's a letter to the church at Ephesus that we need to equip and develop. I'm in baseball right now, so most of my stories for the next several weeks is just going to be about baseball. Because I got two of them in it. My other son, Titus, he's a, um, he's a nine-year-old. And what I realized about, like, I, don't, I have five. I was pretty sure I taught one of them how to throw the ball correctly. <laughs> and when I got into Titus's games, I realized I, he wasn't it. <laughs> you know what I'm talking about? Like, when there's so many kids, like, you're, you're kind of like, I, I know I, 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 I'm pretty sure I did one of Right? Like, I'm pretty sure, but you don't know. So he's throwing the ball. I'm like, son, come over here. And there's drills that you can do to teach kids how to throw the ball right. You start on your knee, and you hold your, your wrist, and you're just teaching them to flick the ball like this. 
and then you move them to the elbow and you're teaching them to, because what you're trying to do is teach them how to throw it like this, not to push the ball. All kids, by the way, when they throw the ball, they, they push it. They go like this. <laughs> Yay! I'm like, stop! <laughs> I'm that dude, okay? It just is what it is. My wife, every Saturday morning, she has to remind me who I am. Honey, they're kids. He, he's learning. It's a game, and you pastor a church in this city. I'm like, okay. <laughs> You're right. So I'm teaching them. I'm teaching, and then you get up, and then you got to stand like this, and you turn. I want to teach them rotation. Turn, teach them rotation. Turn, teach. Then, then they turn and rotation and throw. It's not but like eight more steps before they get to actually step and throw the ball. Because when you teach them steps, they grow. I noticed that when I told my son, Ty, to just throw it right. <laughs> Don't do that. Throw it the right way. He doesn't know what I'm talking about. And so for us as church leaders, me, again, I'm preaching to me. This had nothing to do with you. Aren't you like, you should be amen. I'm like, get, get yourself, pastor. Get you. I'm getting me right now. My job is to equip you to do it the right way. Yep. So that means steps. So steps. Can we make an agreement? Don't come ask me to help people make a leap. Don't come tell me that the Holy Spirit told you to, to come up and tell me that you need to just tell them to stop doing the wrong thing. Once you tell them to do the wrong, stop doing the wrong, they're going to do the right thing. Okay. My son can't even throw a baseball that way. How are you going to expect them to walk with Jesus the right way? Steps. Everybody say steps. steps. We're committed to steps at this church. And don't cover it with a bunch of holy mumbo jumbo. It doesn't work like that. I know the Bible too. So, so, so even Paul knew this, right? Paul knew development, gifting, development, gifting. He wrote a church to a church, another letter. I, I love Paul's letters because he's, he's, he's helping the church get it right. Uh, to the church of Thessalonica, which is a city. In 1 Thessalonians, he says, we wanted very much, I love this, to come to you and I, Paul, and, and try it again and again. He said, but Satan prevented this. This is, this is funny. He says, Satan prevented this. The Greek word prevented there, oh, this, is, this is good, okay? So hear me, this is, if, I'm this is important, okay? Is engapto, all right? It says, and, and that word is to cut in, into the road or create ditches. Now, the reason he used that word is because at that time when you traveled, there was no highways. There were no automobiles. People walked from city to city. Well, on the streets and on these paths, robbers or thieves would cut ditches in engaptos. They would cut ditches or, or, or holes in the road to stop the travelers. And when the travelers stopped just long enough, they'd rob them. So Paul says, Satan did the same thing to me spiritually with you. I was going to get over there. I had a purpose to come over there. I had a gifting to come over there. I was planned to go over there. I had a life to go over there. My whole job was to get over there. But then Satan, like he always does with his old tired ways, does the same thing he does with all of us. He cuts, cuts ditches and he cuts things into the road and holes in the ground so that he can walk up and rob you and I from our purpose. That's what he does. So what's funny is, is that it, it, it does that with, with, with you and with me. And he does that through like temptation and sin and fear and our past. That's all the ditches. Those are all ditches. 
That's all did. I can't serve in this church. I'm afraid what might happen. There's a ditch. I can't go speak to someone about God because, man, the last time I did that, man, my past, let me tell you, last time my dad did not go well. There's a ditch. So he's doing all this. I need to give at the church. Seriously, financial ditches all the time. That's one of the biggest ditches the church, the, the, the enemy uses. Don't get to the church. Once they do, they're just going to ruin it. Ditch. So it keeps you from your purpose. And instead of that, God says this. This is what the third step does. The third cup of redemption does. He goes on to say, remember, he didn't just say an outstretched arm. He said, God's going to redeem you. Come on, by, by, by his mighty acts of judgment. Now, if you read that as a non-Christian or even as a Christian who doesn't understand the Bible, you would think those mighty acts of judgment would be for you. That's not what he was saying. He was saying the mighty acts of judgment are against the enemy who's trying to steal your purpose. So he says the mighty acts of judgment, I'm coming in like a security firm making sure you get from one area to the other. So that when Satan digs a ditch, I'm going to help you past it. So that you, why? So why? 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 What's all the purpose? So that you can get to your destiny. You need to know your purpose. The outstretched arm and acts of, I love the acts of judgment. He's judging Satan. Not you. He's judging the enemy. He's saying, I know you think you stopped him, but it ain't going to happen. Because I'm for you. Yeah, the same God who's parted the Red Sea can get you past any ditches that Satan puts in your way. We, we, we have to believe that for it to be true. I'm going to close with this thought. Summary of today. Summary of today, and I'm done. God created us, right? On purpose. Put it, put it up there. On purpose. For purpose. God created you on purpose for purpose. Everybody put your hand on your heart real quick. Put your hand on your heart. Put your hand on your heart. Online, all over. Just put your hand on your heart. God, say this with me. Say, God created me, God created me. On, purpose. on purpose for purpose. For purpose. Come on, we're going to say it again. Say it with all your heart. Say, God created me, God created me. On, purpose. on purpose for purpose. Now listen, listen. If, if you've ever doubted that, it's God's promise. And when God makes a promise, he delivers. Today, my prayer for you is that you would know that God created you on purpose, for purpose.